This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondery people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I am Maddie Guest and and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie Dicker. Whoa, last names. I know. Watch out. (laughs) Just thought this morning we were going to add in the last name. We're back from holidays. It's a new, are we, new season? Is this season four? Oh God, it's season four. (laughs) Watch out. New season, new names. Okay, I like it. (laughs) What's interesting about that is that you you call me Soph, Mm. but I actually get called Dicker by like everyone. Pre this, I called you Dicker. You called me Dicker. And then this kind of, we were like, no last names. Not that it was ever a decision. We just didn't do it. (laughs) So it's maybe we can swap now to my name. (laughs) Actually, we might confuse people like Alec and Ren on Equity Mates. We'll just stick to Soph. So if we are fresh, <laughs> back from holidays, feeling a bit chirpy, feeling relaxed. I know. I saw you this morning. I'm like, you are so bronzed. <laughs> Did you have a nice time? Had the best time. Good to get away, read some books. Really nice to sleep in. Mm. Like just get up in the morning and not have to, you know, worry about the work day. Yeah. I actually, that. I do have an update for you. Yeah. Pre the holidays, we had a discussion, I'm pretty sure on the podcast, and you told me that you'd noticed that I have quite a lot of luck with airlines. And like where I get seated. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're always at the front. It and wasn't something that back. I'd ever noticed before, but I have to say, <laughs> I have had a very good month. You were correct. Okay, so I will say that I have the worst luck with traveling, <laughs> I've decided, because we, when I was traveling, I was like delayed a hundred times. I missed a flight, but that I went, sounds like a you problem, I, not a traveling problem. Well, I went to the wrong <laughs> airport. We had. <laughs> Is that when I saw, did you and Sam just get in a car and drive instead? Yeah, we had to, no, yeah, there was a part of it that we then had to drive a five-hour car ride (laughs) because we missed this part of this flight. We had a boat ride that was meant to take two hours. It actually took six hours. Like travel is not our thing, I don't think. Right. Like I love travelling but holy hell, cannot get onto flights on time. Well, we were both lucky enough to go to Europe, so quite a long flight. Mm. I had two spare seats next to me on the way, a spare seat next to me on the way back. And then last week I was up in Sydney and I had extra row seats on both there and back. I do not know what I have done to deserve this. I don't even have that many points or anything. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but I'm loving it. That's not me, (laughs) except I will say that on my second leg flying in, I sat next to the most gorgeous Japanese couple and we all had champagne to like a little Prosecco together in cups (laughs) and cheers as we were landing in Paris and she gave me a little Japanese candy so maybe I'm a little bit lucky. Oh that sounds beautiful. It was. Uh did you do any shopping over there? Very passionate. Well talking about retail today the only thing I actually bought I thought I was going to do a lot more shopping but I did just honestly sleeping and eating instead 
The only thing I bought was a perfume because in Paris it's made in Paris, so it's a lot cheaper to buy uh, than in Australia. And you get your did you get your tax back as well? Travel issues. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll buy <laughs> Travel issues. We tried to miss the flight. That was the only airport that we were mm-hmm. flying out of. Missed mm-hmm. the flight and didn't get. weren't thinking about tax. Cool. But- <laughs> okay. Well, today we are very excited to be chatting with Chloe Stokes, senior analyst at Forager Funds Management, on how her shopping cart helped build her portfolio. Chloe has eight years experience in financial services with a track record of successfully shopping for stocks based on her passions and interests, aka fashion brands. She's found that investment opportunities in the fashion sector are often overlooked by major investors. So today we are very excited to learn, are fashion brands a good investment? Just a reminder that anything on today's podcast is not financial advice. We are not licensed, so make sure you do your own research if we are talking about any specific stocks today that might interest you. Just three gals talking about investing. Chloe, welcome to your In Good Company. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Chloe, we've got to ask, considering we're talking about all things fashion today, what is the best investment in your wardrobe? That's a good question. Um, I'm not in the business of selling my old clothes or accessories for a profit. So the way I'm going to think about this question is more on a cost per wear basis. So the value that I'm getting out of the item in my wardrobe I think the answer would also change depending on when you ask me. It's still pretty cold here in Sydney at the moment. So the first thing that comes to mind is my Camilla and Mark trench coat. I wear it almost every day. I wear it to work. I wear it on the weekends. I wear it over my active wear if I'm going somewhere before and after the gym. It will last forever. And as someone who used to need a new outfit for every occasion when I was younger, now nothing makes me happier than repeat offending my favourite items. And at the moment, for sure, this one takes the cake. Maddie and I were actually just talking about this before because I'm moving out at the moment and I'm chucking out all these like old clothes that were kind of, you know, not very expensive and kind of bad quality. And I said to Maddie, I'm like, I'm just going to buy stuff now that's good quality. Way, I'm going to buy way less and just hold on to it forever. Cost per wear, very smart. Totally. Honestly, I get so smug when I wear a dress for the second or third time. I'm so (laughs) proud of myself. (laughs) Chloe, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? This was such an easy question for me. It's 100% Princess Diana. It feels really topical at the moment, but I knew this answer long before what we're going through right now. I'm absolutely obsessed with the royal family. I love watching (laughs) shows like The Crown and all their movies. And I recently read The Palace Papers by journalist Tina Brown. I've been hearing about this on Shameless because Zara McDonald, the host, recently read it as well. It's got me really intrigued. It's super long. I think it's over 600 pages, but it's so juicy. And then more investing focused, I guess, if you could be a stock or company, who would you be and why? I would be Ulta Beauty. It's a beauty retailer listed in the US. They have 1,500 stores all across the country. Our chief investment officer calls it the Bunnings of Beauty because they stock such a broad range of products. So they stock the things right down from what you would find in a Woolworths or a chemist here in Australia all the way up to prestige brands like Chanel. When I was thinking about the why, because this was a weird question for me, Um, (laughs) don't worry it is for most people (laughs) I tried to think about the attributes in a business that I'd like in my life and the first couple are quite generic first I don't want to be stagnant I definitely would want to be a growing business Ulta fits the bill it's grown up over 15% per annum for the past 10 years second I want to spend less than I earn so as a business I need to be profitable 
ultra cash flow. Yes, got, I love it. Yeah, they've got 10% um, operating margins, well above 10% over the past decade. And third, I would like to be resilient and adaptable to change. And I was just really impressed with the way that Ulta, which is a traditional bricks and mortar retailer, really pivoted towards online during the pandemic. Not only did they really improve their online offering, but they focused on this buy online, pick up in store offering, which is still really strong for them. And it's much more profitable than just going straight online because obviously the customer drives to store to pick up the products, eliminating the delivery costs. So I just love the way that they pivoted during COVID and they've come out such a stronger business than what they went in. Can we invest in the company? What's the ticker? Uh, the ticker is Ulta, U-L-T-A. Maddie is convinced it's- already. It's <laughs> <laughs> a quick stock pitch. <laughs> yeah, but also there's a lot of businesses that meet those three criteria. They're pretty broad. But the fourth one, I'm just very into skincare. I feel like I want to have good skin throughout my life. And as I've mentioned before, the Bunnings of Beauty, the broadest range of skincare products from very cheap to ultra bougie. So Ulta also ticks that box for me. It's a skin vestment. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sorry, I can just see Sasha, our producer, shaking her head in the background. (laughs) Chloe, when Soph and I are discussing new investment ideas and inspiration, we often talk about sort of trying to take advantage of areas that we might have some expertise in. So whether it be that we're a longtime Disney lover, so we invest in Disney, or if you're a big fan, Sophie, of Sonos speakers, then you might invest in Sonos. But we were chatting a few weeks ago and you told us that you had sort of a similar experience with fashion retail companies. So Can you talk us through the story of, I guess, how you found investment value in this area? So at Forager, we're really focused on investing in stock where we have what we call a variant perception. So essentially, if your view is the same as the wider view that the market has, then a stock is probably not mispriced because essentially the price of the stock reflects the market's future expectations for that business. Therefore, in order to find mispriced stocks, you basically need to have a different view or what we call a variant perception. I think it's easiest to explain with an example. So I'll use Hallenstein Glasson Holdings, which is one of the stocks in our international shares fund portfolio. It owns Glasson stores in Australia and New Zealand, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And about four years ago, it wasn't too long after I'd started at Forager, I noticed uh, in Sydney that Glasson stores were really busy and I was seeing lots of influencers talking about the brand on Instagram. So it just felt like the business was really taking off over here. And when I took a look at the stock, it was pretty noticeable in the financials as well. But the majority of the business, I'm going to refer to it as HLG, the ticker, because it's a really long name are actually men's and women's clothing stores in New Zealand that had been around for a long time and they weren't all that high growth or exciting. So I spoke to a couple of New Zealand investors and it kind of confirmed my thoughts that HLG was thought of like a sleepy New Zealand retailer and no one had really paid too much attention to that smaller and fast growing and now pretty meaningful segment, which is Glassons Australia. Which makes sense because why would they think to if they hadn't been here visiting the shops or following the brand on Instagram? It also helps in this specific case and in a lot of cases when you're trying to find a variant perception that the business is pretty small. It's only, I think it's 
$320 million New Zealand dollar market cap. So a lot of institutional investors can't invest in the stock, which means there's just not as much attention. Nobody's got laser focus on everything that's happening each quarter in different segments like you would find in you know large stocks over in the US. When you say that institutional investors can't invest in that stock, what do you mean by that? So if you have a really large portfolio of, say, a billion dollars and you want to make an investment in a stock, assuming you have a reasonably concentrated portfolio, you wouldn't be able to get a meaningful investment in a company that's that small without taking, you know, 10, 20, 30% ownership of that company, which most public market investors don't want to do. Yeah, they want to take a cute little 0.5% and add that to their portfolio (laughs) with their billion dollars. (laughs) And also there's a liquidity issue because there's not so many stocks and their dollar value is quite low, not that much uh, money actually changes hands in that business on a day-to-day basis. So it could take them months, years to even get a position in the stock and definitely just as long as they decide to sell out of it. I like the story, I guess, that you found an investment through what you saw. We had a similar story of a friend of ours who kind of saw the afterpay stickers in all of the Glasson stores and then that's how they kind of came across the afterpay stock. But I'm interested because in the past couple of years and because of COVID, we've had, you know, supply chain issues, inflation, we're seeing interest rate hikes at the moment. What do you think are going to be the disruptions on this kind of fashion retail sector in the next couple of years as people have less money to spend on discretionary items? Definitely. It's been such an interesting few years to be looking at retail stocks. Something that we're thinking about a lot and questioning is just about whether online retailing in general will ever be as profitable as offline. There was quite a long time where these online retail businesses were very popular, very much in favour, and it was almost like people were pricing them as though they were going to be more profitable than offline. But they're dependent on some pretty powerful suppliers, like think Google and Facebook, to bring customers to their sites. And the cost of acquiring those customers is getting more and more competitive over time, spurred on by the fact that plenty of traditional bricks and mortar retailers were forced to push their businesses online during COVID. And some of them did a really great job. So that online competition is really increasing at the moment. Marketing costs are getting more expensive. And then you had that huge COVID-induced surge in e-commerce penetration. And I think we've all been surprised, or most of us anyway, at how far things have actually just gone back to the old trend lines. Plenty of people thought that that increase in online penetration was just bringing forward the switch from offline to online. But people are going back to stores, which suggests that you know bricks and mortar retail probably has a long-term sustainable future. And I will say it's never been harder to try and determine what the future looks like. As you mentioned, we've got supply chain issues, we've got inflation, we've got COVID. So trying to separate cyclical from structural is almost impossible at the moment. And everything's just so disrupted in terms of normal consumer patterns. So trying to normalize a company's earnings at the moment and work out where they might be if these things hadn't occurred is very, very difficult. What are you guys doing more of, online shopping or going in store? I am 
largely offline shopper because I am the worst. I'm so picky. So if I try on 20 things in the change room, I could still leave with nothing. I'm an absolute nightmare. So buying things online for me just means multiple trips to the post office. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, <laughs> I find that I really hate being in stores with heaps of people. Like if you go into the city and there's heaps of people. So I'm the type of person that will buy everything online, make sure there's free return shipping and then return it if I don't like it. I've definitely migrated online a little bit. Well, Chloe, when it comes to investing in retail and fashion, ESG is sort of very front of mind these days, especially in the fashion sector. How important of a consideration do you think ESG and sustainability is when we're thinking about long-term investment success and looking for brands or companies in this area? First, I want to just take a quick step back and talk about how we think about ESG more broadly. Essentially, we want the businesses that we invest in to have sustainable business models because there's rarely a price low enough for a business that's shrinking into oblivion. And we also want management teams that are going to be good stewards of our capital. So we love it when we find a great business where management own a big chunk of shares so you know that their interests are aligned with ours. So we consider ESG when we're evaluating any investment decisions and they influence the price we're willing to pay for a business. For example, we might require an additional margin of safety for businesses that are exposed to certain ESG factors or are not managing ESG-related risks well. But then when we think about retail and fashion businesses specifically, the ESG risks are significant and constantly growing. So as consumer preferences and also regulations change, people and regulators are demanding more and more from these retail companies in terms of sustainability and the companies need to respond to that. And there are definitely going to be probably huge incremental costs related to responding to those demands. So we think it's vital to factor it in when you're looking at or valuing retail businesses to invest in and make sure that if there are, I guess, large ESG risks that you're factoring that in when you're valuing a business. We've seen probably one of my favourite news stories in a long time over the last week with Patagonia selling their entire company to, I guess, the globe or what's it, to climate change, <laughs> to the environment. Donating the, donating. Donating the money <laughs> is the word you're looking for. But like that's such a cool example of arguably, you know, a fashion retail brand doing something that's really powerful in that area. And they've been like for a long time really focused on supply chain and things like that as well. Yeah, exactly. And I just think those fast fashion retailers as well, they're getting a lot of pressure from consumers. And a lot of the larger fast fashion companies are actually pretty well placed. They've got great supply chains to meet changing consumer demand. So if they want to start creating sustainable clothing, I'm not saying fast fashion at all is sustainable because sending the clothes back and forth and buying things over and over, not so much. But if they do want to meet consumer demand in terms of making more sustainable clothing they're quite well placed the thing is that it costs more and then consumers need to pay more and there's potentially a branding issue there but yeah there's constant pressure I think on anyone in most sectors but especially the retail sector because there's just a lot of attention on that kind of thing at the moment I think slowly in time I don't think it's going to happen overnight but I think slowly in time consumers are you know getting more and more aware of what they are buying also with like access to information you know you hear of brands like H&M burning clothes and then you think like what's that impact on the environment am I going to be investing my money there but it'll be slow especially when as we said before we've got a time at the moment with inflation and interest rates so people are maybe a little less willing to spend 
higher amounts on clothes that are you know sustainably made but you would also think that luxury brands is sustainable so if you're buying a really expensive Hermes bag that's sustainable but then you hear similar things uh, with H&M that they burn their last season things rather than putting them on sale because it's damaging to the brand so then you think is no. this $20,000 bag sustainable? I, I don't know. Maddie's like, it's, just donate it. Give it to me. Yeah, exactly. Give it to me. I will accept. <laughs> Coming up, we are going to get stock specific and chatting to Chloe about three fashion retail companies that she is particularly interested in. But we are going to take a quick break for our sponsors. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chloe, when it comes to investing, especially when you're first getting started, one of the hardest things can actually just be decide what to invest in and what stocks to buy. And Soph and I have really found that talking to each other and talking to our friends about particular stocks and I guess sort of breaking down some of the ideas that might make it a good or bad investment has been really helpful for just demystifying this process a little bit. So really keen to hear what is the first company that you would like to talk us through that you're particularly interested in at the moment? And I guess in particular, how did you sort of come across this opportunity? Okay, so I'll start with one that we actually own at the moment in our international share fund portfolio. It's a US listed stock. It's called InMode. It's a medical device company and they specialize in aesthetics. And what they focus on is bridging the gap between non-invasive procedures like think filler and Botox and going under the knife for plastic surgery. So they're kind of in the middle there. They use their technology to do things like fat burning, skin lasering and really improving that kind of top layer of skin but without going under the knife, without downtime. So how we found it was one of our portfolio managers, Harvey, read about it in an investor letter and we kind of just We read about it, we thought it sounded interesting, we started looking at the business around June last year. I didn't know anything about the products before that, but once I heard about them, I started seeing references to it everywhere on Instagram. It's such a thing, isn't it? Once you see it, you can't unsee it everywhere you go. (laughs) Yeah, or they're listening to you and then they start sending it to you. So it's not sure which comes first. (laughs) Terrifying. So this was a fast-growing business. It's really cash generative. It's got high margin. So there's lots of things to like when you just look at the financials of the business. But once we started looking at it, in this was in June last year, everything was going insane. The price increased really quickly and we missed our opportunity to buy it at what we thought was a reasonable price. So what usually happens 
when that happens to us, which it does, you know, reasonably often, we kept following along with the business and we got a chance to invest earlier this year when prices were down alongside, you know, most other stocks. And Inmode actually got down to prices that implied that the market wasn't expecting any more growth out of this business in our view. And we think there is a long growth runway to come. We think they're going to be launching innovative new products. We think they're going to expand more internationally. So at that point, we thought it was a good investment because of the price and the things that we like about the business. And so far, we've been happy with how the business has progressed, but it's still early days in terms of our investment. Now, you said that you got the idea for this investment in an investment letter. Is that something that you get through work as a retail investor? Are there, you know, places you recommend to sign up for, for newsletters or? So most fund managers that service retail clients, so Forager is one, for example, will send out monthly or quarterly investment reports where they'll talk about new investments in their portfolio, things they might have sold out of, um, things that they own in the portfolio where something's happened. So for example, you know, a quarterly results announcement or a merger or acquisition or any kind of event, they'll just summarize, you know, the changes in their portfolio and often they'll detail kind of why they've invested in things or why they've sold out and what they think of recent results. It's actually a really good resource for just thinking about new companies. You'll read about a company that you've never heard before and you'll go and have a look at it and you might find it really interesting. You might read 10 letters and see nothing that you're interested in, but it's a really good way to just kind of expand the number of stocks that you're interested in or looking at or even have ever heard of. So if you in terms of finding investor letters to subscribe to, you can just kind of depends whether you're interested in Australian or international stocks, just start on Google and look for kind of the best performing fund managers, go onto their website, see if they offer a monthly or a quarterly update and just sign up and then they send it to you via email on a regular basis. It's a really good way to learn about investing from people that hopefully you'll like their style of investing, maybe have a look (laughs) on their website first and see if you kind of resonate with their investment style but definitely a great thing for people who are interested in investing to start signing up to. It's something I've actually been doing a lot more of recently is reading investor letters, I think, because we're looking for sort of content ideas or things in the news to discuss. And it's been a great, great way to expose myself to sort of new ideas or different ways of thinking about sort of investment opportunities. And like Soph just said, it's coming straight from the experts. So I think that is an excellent resource for Anyone who is interested in learning more about this one, where is it listed and what's the ticker? (laughs) It's listed in the US and the ticker is INMD. Stock number two, company number two. What do you have for us? So this one you might have heard of. It's Farfetch, the global platform for luxury fashion. This is a business that I knew as a consumer and I kind of Most businesses that I use as a consumer and I like, I kind of have on this long list of stocks or businesses that I want to take a look at in at some point. This one I started looking at back in June 2020, so when we were deep in COVID. It was the whole business was valued at around six billion US dollars. The thesis back then was from afar, it kind of looks like just another luxury retailer with no competitive advantage and you know threat of online competitors like Amazon lurking at every corner. And I had the view that it's different because it's actually a, 
a platform so they don't take on very much inventory risk and those luxury brands have a lot more control over the way their products are sold than on just a retailer who kind of wholesales luxury products and then sells them on their website. When you say take on inventory risk, can you just explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. So some luxury websites, say for example, Net-A-Porter, largely what they do is they'll buy inventory from luxury brands and then they'll sell it to consumers. So they kind of own that inventory and they've got to sell it. Whereas Farfetch is a platform the luxury brands will put the products that they want on Farfetch on the platform. They'll kind of decide what goes there. They'll decide pricing. They'll have a lot of control over that process and it's their inventory, but Farfetch has provides the platform and they'll often do a lot of the distribution on behalf of those luxury brands as well. So it's just a little bit of a different model. You know what's interesting there? If you go on, I say Net-A-Porter, I obviously say it very wrong, <laughs> but what's <Same>. interesting <laughs> is they Net-A-Porter has like all the same style images because they obviously have bought the in- inventory. They do like the, you know, photos of it. It's all the same. But when you go on Farfetch, it's like, you can tell it's kind of, I didn't never knew that, but it's interesting because it's all, always different. And I'm like, they don't do this like marketing very well compared to <laughs> Net-A-Porter, but they're actually being smart. Good to know. <laughs> Well, maybe I say it wrong. Who knows? It's very hard to no, say these types of names. <laughs> I've seen a TikToker who's into fashion say it like you do, but I just can't bring myself to say it. <laughs> so what is the ticker for Farfetch and where is it listed? It's listed in the US as well and it's F-T-C-H. I think there's a – we don't actually own this business, but so what happened back then is kind of I had that view at $6 billion market cap, as I mentioned – we bought the stock and the rest of the market came to a very similar view quite and potentially even more optimistic view quite quickly. So the price of that business increased threefold over the next six months and we ended up selling out for a nice profit. And I think this is an interesting one because now, given all the disruption in markets and retail with inflation, it's down to an even lower price than when we initially bought it and we don't own it again. So I think it's an interesting one. It's one that we're still watching closely, but I have a few more concerns than what I did back then. I can still see the same positives to the business model and many outcomes where it's worth much more than the current price. But as I mentioned before, I feel like the whole online retail space has come out of COVID with more question marks than what it went in. And I'm less confident on what earnings might look like once this business reaches scale. I'm wondering if you have any tips for someone who has sort of come into contact with, for example, a Farfetch and it's on their radar, it's something that they use and something they might be interested in investing in. Do you have any tips for sort of how you can go about finding a little bit more information or where to look to see if that is or isn't a good investment? Absolutely. So the the best thing to do to get your kind of to form your own view on a business is just to read some annual reports websites investor relations websites for these companies especially in the u.s are very very good they have a lot of information they are every u.s company releases a quarterly uh, earnings report they're usually quite long quite detailed and what they'll then do is they'll have an earnings call which you can access on their website often they'll even have a transcript but if they don't there'll be a webcast so you can go on and listen and they'll kind of go into a bit more detail around what's happened over the past quarter And there'll also be a bunch of analysts on the line. So the second half of the call will be analysts asking the company questions, often about the most recent results and the company answering. They're really, really interesting. And when I 
start looking at a company. That's the first thing I'll do. I'll have a look at the last couple of reports. I'll listen to some earnings calls and I'll kind of try and understand if this business is as exciting as I might think as a consumer. Not always the case. Just because it's a good brand or a good product doesn't mean it's a good investment. So, but that's a great place to start. Yeah, I like that because you get to hear from management as well, which is always such an interesting thing to think about, like who's actually leading the company that you're investing in. Exactly. And then some of the questions that come through from analysts are very insightful. Oh, hitting, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and company number three for us, Chloe? Yes, I'm going to go back to Ulta, which we already discussed at the beginning of the call. Again, this is one that we owned in the past and I actually found it because I was shopping there in the US and I really liked the customer experience. And it's not something that I think we know about here in Australia because they only operate in the US. So I liked it from a consumer perspective and then I looked into it and it's been a great business over time. I think I touched on before, it's high margin, it's been growing for a long time. So it was on our list of stocks that we kind of liked the business, but they always looked a little bit too, it always looked a little bit too expensive. Then back in August 2019, they released an earnings report and management decreased guidance for the year due to a slowdown in cosmetics, which is one of their end markets. And the share price dropped more than 30% the next day. So sometimes investors can be overly focused on short-term results. And we thought that's what was happening here. And my view was pretty simple that in 10 years time, women and men are going to be spending more on beauty products than what they are today. And I thought that Ulta will continue winning market share, which is what they had been doing over the past 10 years or so. So that thesis played out and we sold once we thought we were being adequately compensated for that in the stock price. But it's still a business that I love. I watch it really closely and I'm just waiting for the right price again. I think you make a really good point there about sometimes the market or investors can be very short-term focused. You know, when you hear about a 30% drop, if that was a company that I was owning, that might make me a little bit nervous and I'd be worried that it's not a good investment anymore. But actually knowing why the market has reacted like that and understanding what has caused that can like just having that little bit of information can make it so much easier to just continue thinking long-term and often, you know, it can be a great buying opportunity as well to get in at times like that. Absolutely. You always have to know why you own something or why you want to own something and try not, this is easier said than done, Turn try the stock not market to over-extrapolate <laughs> recent results in yeah. either direction. It happens both ways. When things go well, everyone thinks it's going to go well forever. It's much more fun when they go well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend I was traveling with recently actually who said that him and his partner, they'd both started investing together and he was like, you know, she's investing. It's really exciting, but she checks it every day. And I'm like, well, have you been listening to the podcast? That's the one thing we say not to do. <laughs> have the long-term perspective. Don't check it every day. <laughs> That's easier said than done. Easier said than done. Well, I forgot my password to one of my accounts and then I – so I didn't check it for ages. Then I reset the password. We're good again. So <laughs> we just forget the password. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> Chloe, before we get to our final question for today, if anyone wants to find more about you or about Forager, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Yes, our website, uh, www.foragerfunds.com. And as I mentioned before, you can sign up to our investment report and you will get a monthly and quarterly report as well as an end of year performance report. 
if you sign up, we also do things like webinars and roadshows where the team will either get together over Zoom or somewhere in person and we'll kind of talk about our portfolio or how we're thinking about the market at the moment. So we do a lot of things like that. I will be signing up to that after we get off this. (laughs) We'll put the link in our show notes. Perfect. To finish off, we will always ask our guests the same question. What piece of advice would you give your younger self when starting out investing? That's an excellent question. And I think the examples that I just gave kind of lead me into the perfect response. And that is to have patience. When you're investing, there is absolutely no substitute for paying the right price. You can buy the best business in the world, but if you overpay, it probably won't be a good investment. And in the five years that I've been doing this job, market perception of each of those three businesses that I discussed and most others has changed really material. Each of them have a lot of qualities that I like in a business. And at certain points in time, those qualities have been really well appreciated in the market. And at other points in time, that's not the case. All three of these businesses have seen at least 50% price drawdowns in the past couple of years. So I think just to reiterate the importance of waiting. It's not about having something really unique all of the time, but understanding a number of businesses really well, having a consistent process and waiting for the market to forget about those qualities and give us the opportunity to buy a stock at what we think is a good price. I think that is my best piece of advice. I like that. And I think that's something that Maddie and I are learning at the moment. When you first start investing, it's really hard to understand, you know, the market movements. But when you sit with it and it's been a couple of years, we're like, oh, yeah, it goes up and down. That's good. Especially at the moment. Yeah, especially at the moment. (laughs) It absolutely does. And if you really do have a long-term focus and obviously you need to be right, which you're not always right, those market movements are actually just further opportunities for you to increase your returns over time. So. Look at those down days as good days. Positive. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Well, Chloe, thank you very much for your time today. I have loved getting some further insight into the retail fashion industry. Definitely an area that I think both Soph and I and a lot of our listeners are extremely interested in. So it's been super valuable. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this has really got me in the mood for some shopping. I don't know if it's (laughs) shopping on the internet or shopping for some stocks. Shopping for stocks. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. (laughs) We would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. And if you are currently looking at maybe any uh, fashion retail stocks in particular, or alternatively, if you have subscribed to any fund managers and getting any quarterly updates or investor letters that you would recommend, please jump into our Facebook and share the goodies. We will make a little post so you can add in your comments. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at YIGC Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend. Otherwise, you'll hear from us next week. Catch you then. Bye. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present 
and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.